Welcome to Fringe with Benefits, episode 71, a little bit about me. I'm Stacy, your fun-loving warrior queen host, mom of two great teens who no doubt will be badasses one day like their mom, survivalist extraordinaire, wildlife biology major turned real estate broker, and founder of a baby nonprofit, it's so cute, who felt the call of 2020 to turn from truth seeker to truth teller through what we now know as this podcast. I'm not the only one who has decided to use their platform for the greater good. I'm one of many. Only one in a multitude of thousands who have been brave enough to pick up that phone call from the universe to come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Welcome to Stacy Socials. First, I'm going to tell you a survival story, uh, probably one of the most epic survival stories I've ever heard in my entire life. My daughter told me about this. We were discussing. I survived stories of when women were attacked. And this was the story that she was like, have you heard of this? And I'm like, no, I've never heard of that. So let's start. Allison Boffa is her name, 27 years old, had an apartment in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. She was coming from a night out with her friends They had had some pizza and some games. She dropped some people off and then she headed back to her apartment. When she parked her car, she was reaching to grab a bag of laundry. And that's when this guy forced himself in with a knife. He's like, move over or I'll kill you. She did what she was told. This guy took control of her car and then sped away, took her with him. He said, I don't want to hurt you. And he identified himself as Clinton. He said that I just want to use your car for an hour. This is the biggest no-no. Never go with someone who's trying to abduct you and take your car. Just get them to take whatever they want and, and leave and leave you there. You want to fight where you stand. Do not let them take you. So this Clinton fella, whose real name was Franz Dutoy, he traveled to another part of town to pick up his friend Thunes Kruger. That's when they took her to an area outside of the city where they can basically, they raped her, and then they they decided they were going to kill her. So first they tried to suffocate her. She lost consciousness, and they stabbed her 30 times in the abdomen. She recalled that one of them said that he wanted to mutilate her reproductive organs, but they missed all of those parts. Then they slit her throat 16 times. This is what she said about that. All I could see was an arm moving above my face, left and right, left and right. His movements were making a sound, a wet sound, and it was the sound of my flesh being slashed open. He was cutting my throat with the knife, again and again and again. It felt unreal, but it wasn't. I felt no pain, but it was not a dream. This was happening. The man was slashing my throat. So they thought that they killed her, but they left her and she was still breathing. She said that I had to at least leave a clue about who did this to me, so she decided to write the names of her attackers in the dirt, and then she wrote underneath, which totally broke my heart, she wrote, I love mom. Then she realized that she might be able to survive this, and she could see headlights in the distance, so she figured if she could just manage to get to the road, she could flag down a passing motorist and possibly survive this ordeal. So as she's walking to get to the road... She, this is when she realizes the full extent of her injuries. She, would, she pulled herself up and her head started to fall backwards. And this is when she realized that she's nearly been decapitated. Then she could also feel something protruding from her abdomen. These were her intestines. 
She had to use one hand to keep her organs from spilling out and the other hand to literally hold onto her own head. She said, as I struggled forward, my sight faded in and out and I fell many times but managed to get up again until I finally reached the road. This is where she collapsed along the white line and fortunately, a young veterinary student named Tian Allard was visiting Port Elizabeth on vacation and he saw her lying in the road and thank God he stopped. He said that God put him on that road that night for a reason. He used his veterinary training to put her exposed thyroid back into her body and then he called emergency services. That's when she was rushed to the hospital where doctors were horrified by her wounds. One doctor said he'd never seen such severe injuries in his 16 years of practicing medicine. She managed to pull through and then she remembered everything about her attackers, which is what's totally miraculous. She was able to identify them from police pictures while she was in the hospital, and this led to the arrest of what they called the Ripper Rapists. They both pled guilty to eight charges, which included kidnapping, rape, and attempted murder, and they were both found guilty and sentenced to life in prison in 1995. Even though the worst was behind her, she still had a lot of physical and emotional scars from the ordeal, and she realized that in order for her to recover, she needed to face what happened to her. She is one of the first women from South Africa to speak publicly about rape, both in her home country and abroad. She has helped inspire other survivors to come forward and tell their stories as well. The attack has put me on a path where I get to travel the world and help inspire others, she said. But through all that, the greatest gift of all had been the birth of her two sons. They tried to destroy her reproductive organs. She said that that was his intention. And that's when she said that after the birth of her first child in 2003. She said, which is what makes this news so positive. Life can sometimes make us feel like the victim. Problems and hardships and traumas are dished out to all of us, and sometimes they can be divided very unfairly. Remind yourself that you do not have to take responsibility for what others do. Life is not a collection of what happens to you, but of how you've responded to what has happened to you. Think that's amazing and miraculous and i had to share that with all of you that one is courtesy of mallory next is npr org report about how they have made the vaccine <laughs> available to children ages 5 to 11. this is from the fda they are saying that there are boosters now for the 5 to 11 age and this is the second shot, and at least five months ago, we're eligible to receive the third shot. So here are their numbers for kids that have gotten it. Less than a third of children aged 5 to 11 are fully vaccinated, and only about a quarter of adolescents have received a booster, which is good. Let's keep those numbers low, people. Next is this interesting story about these West African prayer camps. I don't know if you've heard of this, but you're going to hear about it right now. Linda Givatash, she's a young Canadian journalist graduate student, and she was with the Global Reporting Program. She traveled to West Africa, the nation of Togo, to do a story about how mentally ill people are treated there. She visited several religious camps where people suffering from psychological ailments undergo intensive prayer sessions that are supposed to cure them. But what she describes sounds like a scene from hell. She said, quote, There was a concrete shed which had different rooms, almost like a prison cell. There was one person in each, people chained inside. When we went, went around that beyond, there was almost a little forest of trees, and there were dozens and dozens of people, and each person was chained to a tree. 
Some of them had blankets. There was one guy who had nothing. He was screaming, he was naked, and he had been digging a hole and was sitting in the slope of the hole. Some people were very calm, almost catatonic. Others were obviously in crisis, screaming and yelling. With some people, one ankle would be chained to the tree. There was one guy who had both wrists chained together behind his back and he just stood there. She said it was just horrific. In a short distance away, an open-air church where a pastor screeched a sermon. There's a group of people cooking food, and these are family members of these patients. They live there adjacent to the camp in crude shelters, preparing food and bringing water to their mentally impaired kin. This therapy, that they call it, that the mentally ill patients receive at these camps consists of intensive prayer, forced fasting, and sometimes counseling sessions with the head pastor. There is estimated to be hundreds of these prayer camps in West Africa. These nations would be included. Um, these nations would include Togo, Ghana, Benin, Burkina Faso, and others, where there is little in the way of psychiatric treatment. Many people believe these are effective, and in any case, for most, they're almost the only practical option. She said that prayer camps are popular because there's limited health care options in Ghana. There's only about 154 psychiatrists for six million people, and only three public hospitals. So typically, a family member will bring the mentally disturbed relative to the camp, and rarer are the ones that will check themselves in, even. Family members were asked why they had brought the stricken person to the prayer camp rather than a psychiatric facility, and they said that that question was usually answered with an attitude of, well, why would you ask that question? Of course I would go to a prayer camp sanitarium. Many Ghanaians are deeply religious Christians. And they are adherents of traditional cultural beliefs that view mental illness as a spiritual malady and the mentally ill with suspicion and even hostility. The psychological problems is often blamed on demonic possessions, evil spirits, or diabolical curses. It's not unheard of for neighbors or even friends to harass the families with a member who is observed acting crazy. Sometimes the sufferer or entire family is ostracized and sometimes even forced from their homes. She said that people suffer severe issues, whether it be schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, will often most be shunned by their society because there's a lot of discrimination and stigma that's attached to religious belief systems. For those who believe a person's psychological problems are the consequence of a spiritual failing, spiritual therapy, divine healing, is the preferred remedy. The head, the, the head pastor of the Mount Horeb prayer camp in Ghana, told the BBC in 2018, quote, when it is spiritual doctors, when it is spiritual, doctors can do all they have learned from books. It will never work until the spiritual is applied. So there's those that will act out. These are the most severely mentally impaired or epileptics even, and that's a medical condition, not a psychological one. They are shackled or placed in cramped cages. One researcher told her that some chained patients complained of being caned and uh, housing conditions are actually awful, in case you didn't already guess. If they let them go, they'd only end up wandering the streets in destitution and confusion. Well, how long do they stay? Sometimes a few days, sometimes weeks, months, even years. They're free to go when the pastor decides they can be released. The average person is there for about two years. And that's based on new data. One person she interviewed had been there for 30 years waiting for a cure, and they were in chains at that point. In 2012, there was a series of international press coverage and reports from groups such as Human Rights Watch that embarrassed the Ghanaian government 
and there was a law passed prohibiting the abuse of patients in camps, but it had gone unenforced. What has had some success was persuading pastors to allow psychiatric teams into their camps to treat the patients with medication. The New York Times reported in 2018 that a team led by Dr. Angela Oforiata, a Ghanaian professor of psychiatry, was allowed in to diagnose and provide antipsychotic drugs to some patients. After six weeks, those on drugs showed clear improvements. The Dr. Atta told the Times one man who had been chained for 10 years became lucid for the first time in many years. But even the patients who showed improvement, they remained chained. The journalist that writes about this says that it's really delicate and difficult and that she feels that we need to be respectful of cultural differences and unfamiliar customs and not rushing to judge others from the perspective of our own culture because who is to say that ours is the superior or the proper standard of what's right or wrong or normal or abnormal. Chaining mentally disturbed people or anyone who's not a violent threat is, she says to her, strikes her as wrong, regardless of cultural background. She says you also have to wonder how we are seen by others. What might a visiting African or other foreigner think if they came to Los Angeles? the second largest city in the wealthiest country in the world, and saw the vast homeless camps where many of our fellow citizens are mentally ill and untreated. She said that she can easily imagine someone asking how can they allow such a thing. Next is a local story out of Seattle about a jogger, this poor mom. She was mauled by two pit bulls, and she wants action. She said that, it was, you know, this is her speaking. Amy Craven, she said that when she when she was interviewed for this article, she said this is t- day 10 of her not seeing her kids. She's got an 11-year-old daughter and a 6-year-old son, and she hasn't been able to see them since the day that two pit bull dogs, two, two pit bull mixed dogs, attacked her in her neighborhood before nearby workers stepped in to help. There's video footage of this. So you could probably see that on the link below. She says, I'm angry at the negligent dog owner who let her dogs run loose. There's a 10-day quarantine that animal control says has ended, but they need to collect more evidence. Seattle Animal Shelter said the dogs will stay in the shelter through the investigation because of the severity of her injuries. So she's got a, she can't go home from the hospital because her leg has exposed tendons hanging out. They literally almost ripped off of her, her calf muscle. And Animal Control said it could take weeks for investigators to collect and review evidence and interview witnesses. But she wants to see action now. She says that she thinks the dogs should be euthanized by now. And by the time this comes out, they may have been. She says, I'm 10 days into the hospital. I can't walk on my leg. I have to have wound care twice a day. If the city decides to move forward with designating the dogs as dangerous, they can take the dog's owners to court. These potential outcomes include euthanasia or relocating the dogs outside of city limits. She said she would like to see the city reevaluate that ordinance, saying dangerous dogs should not be allowed to move into another part of the city. If a dog attacks and causes a severity of injuries that I have, those dogs need to be put down. For now, she said she's focusing on her recovery and counting down to when she could see her kids again. I think that she's right. Those dogs, if they attacked her that way, they, uh, they're definitely going to attack and hurt somebody else. So I think that she's right about that. And from what I heard about this story, that these dogs belong to someone who lived in the homeless encampment. So what, what kind of remediation is going to be taken if you do take that person to court? Nothing. And what's it going to do just to relocate the dogs outside of city limits? 
and they attack or kill a child. Next is more of a lighthearted story about, okay, you guys saw the, the Met Gala. Kim Kardashian was wearing Marilyn Monroe's dress. Well, I have to talk about this, even though it's kind of stupid, but I have a feeling that um, this is probably a bad move. So Bob Mackie, he's got an issue, and he is the designer for Marilyn Monroe. He said that it was a huge mistake for them to allow Kim Kardashian to wear that dress. The dress was originally donned by Monroe when she sang the happy birthday song to President John F. Kennedy for his 45th birthday. Ooh, how interesting, his 45th, huh? So I know this is a non-issue, but I want to talk on it because of principle and the lack of consideration for an iconic gown for money. Okay, Ripley's, believe it or not, allowed it to happen. I want to know how much was donated or paid for her to be allowed to squeeze her big rump into this dress. Mackie said he thought it was a big mistake. He said that no one should have ever worn the dress except for the goddess herself. And that he said, Marilyn was a goddess, a crazy goddess, but a goddess. She was just fabulous. Nobody photographs like that, and it was done for her. It was designed for her. Nobody else should be seen in that dress. Kardashian reported she had to lose 16 pounds in three weeks to squeeze into it, and it couldn't, wouldn't even totally zip over her butt. She said she would wear a sauna, suit twice a day, run on the treadmill, cut out all sugar and carbs. We all know that the dress only partially fastened, causing her to have to wear a white vintage fur coat that draped over the exposed zipper. This Kardashian marked the only the second time in history that this famous garment was tried on. The fashionista worked alongside the museum to preserve the piece of pop culture by carefully transporting it with gloves and ensuring she only wore the dress for a limited period of time. She didn't change into the dress until she was ready to stroll the carpet. After the big reveal on the red carpet, she changed into a replica dress to protect the original. And she took extra measures to preserve the dress and the blonde bombshell's legacy. Mackie was not the only person to denounce her tribute. Twitter users were also up in an uproar over it. What do you think about that? There was also, it was pretty interesting because I saw some video footage of her at the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. And they passed her along, um, passed along a little lock of Marilyn's hair. I don't know, I, d I doubt they let her take it, but she made some comments about doing some witchcraft with it, so I thought that that was kind of funny. Accountability segment. My career has been incredibly busy, and for this I am so glad. I have a long list of interviews to schedule, and many stories from many interesting people are on their way. Remember to send me an email if you have a story and or would like to be interviewed. I am trying to get some intro music nailed down, but it'll cost a lot of money to have what I truly want. I do not produce gated content yet. Everything is put out free and will continue to be. So we will see what happens with the intro music. My mission here is to bring incredible stories to you all and to explore and dissect about what the conspiracy theories say. I'm not the only person speaking out about this, but I can say that I'm the only naked and afraid or reality television person to talk on this information. Everyone who does tiptoes around the subject or has to put it behind a paywall that they created because even Patreon will censor you. I truly hope everyone is getting prepared with provisions, plans, and other things, but also mentally preparing for what could come. I'm not speaking on the Buffalo shootings or the new house speaker or even monkeypox, we get enough of that. I will move forward with information about God's voice technology and the coincidental nature of many mass shooters that say they hear voices, and that will come next episode. 
I've been grounded periodically on Facebook, and I do not want to continue to contribute to their life log. We will talk more about that too, but I will connect with a lot of people there, and I don't want to leave for that reason, at least not just yet. Follow me on all the socials. Telegram is linked below. Patreon as well. Inward Survival. Twitter is at Stacy Fringe. That one needs some followers. Otherwise, you can follow me at Golden Valkyrie. Drop the E. I have been absent on Telegram lately, but I have been back. I've dropped some stuff there recently. So go over there and join the channel. You need that invite link. It's below. And I'm also been really absent on Patreon. I just do not have the time to create content there right now. But if I do eventually decide to create more content there. I will let everyone know, but feel free to follow me there. And if people show interest, I am there for it. Don't forget about the Forbidden Clothes link below. I am an ambassador, a fashionista at Forbidden Clothes. Use the promo code FRINGE or just use the link below if you want some good threads. Remember, we have a mailbag here at Fringe with Benefits. You can email us at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. We want your crazy stories, people. And if you want to be on the show and you think you've got enough content for an interview, shoot me an email, fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. This week, I have a really crazy story about jinns, which we all know are like genies, right? Middle Eastern culture. This one is about gins under the fig tree um, from user the odd news at the Reddit thread. The truth is here. You can find it on Reddit, but you're going to listen to it here. So it says, hello, my name is Sanan. I am a journalist living in Turkey. Paranormal investigations are my hobby. I did not experience this story. It happened to one of my readers who sent it to me to publish. I live in a village, Zonguldak. My name is Delaver, a male name used in Turkey. When I was a kid, the women in my village usually gathered in a house at night and told horror stories about jinns. They unnecessarily scared themselves. Since I was a kid, I used to go to these meetings with my mother, listen to the stories, and be influenced by them. Sounds like me and all my friends. Okay, he goes on to say, Our village is an old mountain village, which is neglected and secluded. The entire village is on a slope. There is no single flat road. There is no lighting in the streets either, but there is a mill at the entrance of the village. My mother and her friends used to go to the mill in the morning and make corn mill until the evening. They were cherry, laurel, and fig trees around the mill. One day, I went to the mill with my mother. The day had not dawned yet, and it could be considered night. We put sacks of corn in the mill to grind and make flour. I had to pee, and the mill did not have any toilet, so I had to pee under a fig tree. After I peed, I went back to the mill again. While I was working in the mill, my mother told me, I will go to the house and come back soon. Do not go anywhere. I don't know if it's psychological, but once I was alone, I started to hear someone calling me by saying, Hey, hey! I panicked when the door of the mill suddenly opened. I got out of the mill to check whether there was someone outside. And once I got out, I think I saw someone under the fig tree. The light of the mill was not lighting that area much, and maybe this is because I believe the shade I saw was looking at me. Suddenly, I thought, I hope that's not a gin. I shuddered with this thought. I went back to the mill and closed the door. However, it opened again. I panicked when the door suddenly and harshly opened again. I didn't know what to do. Instinctively, I wanted to get out and run as fast as I could. When I got out to do this, I saw dozens of shades around the mill and in front of me. I went back in, entered the mill, and sat down. I started to say prayers. I remember while crying. I lost myself with fear. 
During this time, my mother arrived and took me home. I bruised the arms of my mother with my nails. However, I didn't even realize it. When I returned to normal at home, my mother, father, and other members of my family asked me what happened and why I was so scared. I couldn't tell what I saw to anyone, just because I may feel the same fear again while telling it. In the following days, I wanted to forget the shades I'd seen, but my nightmares didn't allow me to do so. In my nightmares, someone was constantly trying to strangle me. These dreams were so real that I usually woke up out of breath. I had these nightmares every night when I went to bed without ablution. My family, who noticed that I lost mentally, took me to the imam of the village mosque. They told him about me, and however, the imam didn't see any problems with me. He told me that I'm okay and the problems I suffer could be psychological. However, I was not crazy. My family thought mosque imams might not understand much things. They took me to a, another hoja. This hoja was experiencing engine haunting and reversing spells. This hoja had put a bowl of water in front of me when we went to meet him and he said, Now look at this water carefully. If you see anything in the water, tell me what you see. I swear I saw the ones who strangled me. I told what I saw to the hoja. I understand the questions of hoja. In the end, the hoja gave me a vefk. He said, you have to carry this vefk on you. Jinns cannot approach you as long as you carry this and they cannot harm you. However, if you take it off or lose it, they will haunt you and they can even kill you. I've been wearing that vefk for years as a necklace. After that day, I had no problems with jinns. However, the problem is I lost that vefk a few days ago and I don't know what to do. Um, so, okay, let's get into the first thing. He put some little um, references in there. The first one was, according to common Turkish popular belief, the surrounding of the fig trees are one of the places where there are many jinns. However, people often avoid getting close to fig trees, especially in the evening. It is believed that peeing under the fig tree can cause jinns to haunt the person. According to a linked belief, people will fall down from a fig tree, will certainly be, be disabled or die soon. And then two, the vefk is a talisman crafted by writing letters and numbers, which are believed to have powers and effects into a square and rectangular shapes in certain mathematical equations. This belief is very strong over there. And many cultures around the world have a lot of superstition, a lot of cultural beliefs that are deeply ingrained in their people till this day. And I think that this guy is reporting a story that truly happened to this Delaver young man in Turkey. Kind of funny because we all like to sit around and tell each other scary stories. That's what the mailbag is for. So if you have any true stories, I mean, it, it really, it could be anything, anything not so, any, any type of experience that you've had or currently are having, please send me a letter in the mailbag, fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Welcome back to Fringe with Benefits. We have a real treat for you. We have a guest and her name is Stephanie Lindgren and she's actually administrator of one of the biggest fans of Naked and Afraid uh, platforms on Facebook and say hi to everybody, Stephanie. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me. This should be yes. interesting. Yeah, I'm super excited. So Stephanie's had some paranormal experiences herself, and she's actually, do you live in this home currently, or do did you live in the home? <laughs> I do live in the home. Okay. I'll probably live in it. I mean, it, it's nothing that's 
gotten to the point where it's discouraged me. It's kind of um, made me scratch my head a few times, uh, but nothing right yet as of yet that would send me running out of here. I'm just no. very aware. Very cool. So would you consider yourself like an empathic and you've, you're kind of hip to energies around you or is this you something know, that, uh, I have struggled with that recently. Cause I do feel like I'm an empath and I went and saw, I went to, there's the oldest, um, I don't know exactly how they categorize it, but it's a community of people who are empaths, who mm-hmm. are uh, readers, seers, healers, and it's the oldest community, I believe in the nation. It's called Casadega in Florida. Cool. And yeah, it's very, sp- I mean, it's, this place is spooky, dirt roads, black cats, lots of mediums. Like it's a whole kind of feel. And when I went and spoke to a lady, I haven't been in like 15, 20 years. She was telling me that she could see that in, in my aura or in my energies or whatever. And then I was like, oh, wow. Because I do feel like when you tap into it or when you open your mind to kind of accept the things that you're seeing or hearing or feeling, mm-hmm. you, then you start to go, oh, maybe I'm not out of my mind. Maybe these are things that I am in tune with. So what I say, I'm super in tune. Now, what I say, it's something that if I wanted to maybe uh, research or investigate more as far as my own, what does that mean for me? Yeah, I might. it might be interesting to see, you know, if I open, I don't know how much more open my mind could be about it, but you know, some stuff you're like, yeah, I can see that. And then other stuff, you, I, I don't know that I want to, <laughs> you know, so I don't know where I'm at in that, but I definitely feel like, um, I have an open enough of mind to say the stuff has happened. It's, it's not in my head. I didn't make it up. Right. Um, yeah. And it's energy for me, you know, I'm more of a scientific person, not really religious and spiritual kind of thing. So I definitely believe in energy and I do believe that it's all energy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when did this start happening? Like how long have you lived there? And when was the first thing that happened to you? I've lived here for about 10, a little over 10 years. My aunt Lucy and my uncle Ralph used to live here. My uncle Ralph was a veteran and he was a paraplegic. And my back bedroom is where he used, my aunt used to take care of him. She was his full-time hundred percent caregiver. And he passed away here in the home. He was a great, he was a beautiful soul, nice man. I didn't know him super, super well, but I did visit him and, you know, it, it, being paraplegic, it made it hard for him to even communicate yeah. um, at the levels that he was at. My aunt was, she was a spitfire. She liked her beer. She liked her sport. She liked her um, uh, soap operas. I mean, she was just a real independent, strong kind of lady and she took care of my uncle till the days he passed. So while she was here for the last five years of her life, we did everything we could to help since we lived in the neighborhood so she could stay in this home for as long as possible. She didn't want to have to go to a home mm-hmm. or an assisted living facility. Um, she had onset of Alzheimer's and dementia. And then the first time I realized something was funky was she in her dementia. And I know this can be a symptom of dementia, but it was so real for her and to watch her kind of go through the process so quickly. I was like, I don't know. I also know that they say as you get older and you're getting ready to pass, if you know that, that sometimes you're already in communication with the people you're going to pass to. I've heard some of the specials. So she started seeing uh, spirits or dead people having full conversations with them. Um, 
and this was definitely toward the end. Like she, she was definitely on her way out and we did have to finally get some hospice for her. So she, she maybe did spent, she was here up until a month before she passed. Okay. So I know that everything between our families was good. There's no, you know, she's like I said, a spitfire, a fun lady. She didn't pass in the house, but she definitely was here like having conversations with dead people, uh, on the regular for the last couple months. And I don't know if she didn't specifically say who, and it was hard to follow kind of her train of thought as she went in and out of her, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's and whatnot. Um, but it was very, very real to her. Very, very real. And they were having conversations that were very real to her past and to the people in her life, you know, in her life throughout the years. So, you know, when you, when they're kind of communicating to you that they're communicating to people that have passed and these are the things that they're talking about. Like, it's almost like they're preparing them to come. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And, you know, I found that really odd. Like I was like, wow. And then, you know, like I've heard that's part of dimensions and I've heard that's part of preparing you to come back up, you know, or to go be with the people that have passed. Yeah. So, um, and based on some of her very, it, she seemed extremely lucid, lucid when she was telling us about this. You know, I, w- I was just very curious about it then. So that was the first time I realized that something might be going on in this house, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when she passed, she left the home to my parents and I started running from here. So I like, came into the house and I cleaned it all up and um, and I didn't do anything major as far as like completely redo everything. And then I left a few things that were momentums to them. Like I have a horseshoe that I put next to my sliding glass door that's for good luck. Mm-hmm. Cause I think you're supposed to do that next to a doorway and that's theirs and it has their name and it has their timeline, I believe, of, or when they got married, maybe I'd have to go look at it. It's been a while. I have the flag that he was given or she was given when he passed after his service. Oh, you know, like, so I had, there's things here that I think belong to the house. Like, I don't see, like, I, even though they're not necessarily mine, like, I don't feel comfortable selling it or throwing it away or I just feel like they have places in this house and I leave it here yeah um so the first time I I just started hearing things it was all about the noises and I was here by myself and I would think that I'd hear something and then I would try to figure out what could possibly be making that noise what am I not getting how are the acoustics in this house so I didn't really think much about some of the noises at the beginning But once I moved somebody in here and I had a few friends that came and stayed with me for a little bit. Yeah. Everybody had that feeling. Wow. (laughs) Something, you got something going on in this house and not in a bad way. Just that feeling. Like I have two girlfriends, they come here every time. They're like, yep, you know, it's here. You got something's, you know, here. So I'm like, okay, well, it doesn't spook me out. It's just, I'm just curious. So when I had this particular roommate, we ended up, he lived here for a year and a half and we became very close and intimate, but we're still just roommates. But we got into a pretty good argument one day and it wasn't anything physical, but it was a pretty intense argument. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes when you, you fight like that, you make up like that. Mm-hmm. And his car, which I didn't even realize the security on his car worked. Every time we got close, as far as the intimacy went, the alarm on his car would go off. Whoa. So we're like, what the fuck? So he'd go out. The first time he goes out there, as soon as he gets out the door, it just turns off all by itself. 
<laughs> so he looks around and he comes back in and then, you know, we get back into whatever. Uh-huh. And then the car alarm starts going off again. And we're like, what the fuck? So we just let it go. And it did not, like it went longer than usually. I guess it's supposed, it's timed, it times out at some point. Mm-hmm. So he went out there so that, you know, we're not waking up all the neighbors. Was it too super late? As soon as he walks out the door again, doesn't have your touch card, alarm goes off. Whoa. So then <laughs> the next we get into it again and the alarm starts going on. As soon as he stood up on the couch, off the couch, like the alarm stops. <laughs> so we spoke out in like, stop screwing with us. Who's screwing with us right now? Like we said that aloud, like you're saying it to the house. Yeah. And then it stopped. So once we asked it to stop, it stopped. But each time the alarm did not shut off in the same amount of time. Each time it had something to do with his movement. Uh-huh. And he never once touched the car. I have security cameras out there. Nothing touched the car. Nobody's That's out there. Nothing's so going on. It was like something was wanting him to stop you know yes like you guys are you stupid you guys just got into the worst fight now you're gonna make up you are idiots like somebody just (laughs) trying to like get in the way like what are you thinking that's not how we make up for this kind of fight i'm like well that's how we do it (laughs) and you know sorry about that um yeah so then that's when he was like okay he'd heard noises too and stuff like that and so it was um, very eye-opening for both of us, just because of the way that alarm was reacting to him coming to the car. It yeah. was just basically pulling him away from me. Yeah. Then um, I was waiting for my room to get home one night, and I didn't want to. I wanted. I didn't want to leave the door unlocked, so I locked the door, and I was asleep on the couch. And you know when you can feel somebody breathing on you? Yeah. Or like, there's just that present. And I opened my eyes. I could have sworn he'd gotten in the house and he was just looking at me to see if I was asleep. There's nobody there. I felt the breath. I felt, I felt all that stuff. Um, so I was like freaked out. When he finally got home, I was like, dude, you're not going to, like somebody was breathing on me. Somebody was standing over me. I could have sworn there was a person. I couldn't go back to sleep after that. Oh God. So then, um, the next time, and this was all happening while he was here. Like, I felt like the energy was, didn't like this arrangement. Yeah. So, um, the next time I was in the tub, so my door, I've got a deadbolt and I've got a, a regular lock, right? Yeah. So you, the only way to get in is you have to have a key to the deadbolt. I'm the only one with the key to the deadbolt at this point. Nobody's got the key. Um, so. I'm in the tub and I hear some noises and it's my front door is someone's opening my front door. I can hear the door open. I hear the door shut. I hear like footsteps. Yeah. So I'm like, who is it? Who is it? Like, did I not lock the door? I know I locked the door because I got in the tub and I'm by myself and I'm not leaving the door open. Mm-hmm. And I jump out of the tub and put a towel around me because I hear the door shut again. So I'm like, nobody's answering me. I heard it open. I heard it shut. I go out there, the door's still bolted locked. It's, you know, the bottom lock and there's nobody. And I'm like, I heard the door open. Ooh. I heard somebody walk in and I heard the door shut. And then I called my sister just in case. I'm like, do you saw me? She's like, oh, I haven't had your keys in years. And I'm like, where are you? You know, like I'm thinking they're screwing with me. 
And because this is at a time where it kind of ramped up, there was another situation, another situation, you know, the noises and and whatnot. And so um, that freaked me the F out. Like, I didn't even finish my bath. I just was dumbfounded. Like, I I didn't make that up. I'm not drinking, you know, like it's five, six o'clock at night. I'm not drinking. I'm not impaired. I'm not anything. It's just weird strange and it just that gave me the heebie-jeebies yeah but once I started like saying who is it what are you doing da, 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 they walked right on out you know but they couldn't have even if it was somebody they couldn't have dead bolted the door from right. the outside so I was like oh oh <laughs> and then um so I ended up my girlfriend said look burn some sage sit in the middle of your house and ask the house to stop screwing with you mm-hmm. so I went and got some sage <laughs> And I uh, sat down in the middle of my front room and I burned it. And I just said, Hey, look, I've had a difficult time lately. You know, I'm not trying to, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I'm being stalked or someone's after me. I'm starting to get a little unnerved. Can you just kind of chill out? And then I was good for a while. House. It's like the house stopped. I asked the house to stop. I saged it and I was good. Wow. Then I let said roommate come back for another little period of time and it ramped up again. Same dude. Same dude. Okay. And so clearly my house does not like this person <laughs> or just, you know, it's like, eh, I'm going to screw with them. I don't know. Or are they and they're watching out for you? Like, did this guy prove possibly, to I, you know, absolutely. I, I do feel that they're like, eh, no, no. Yeah. So we had been kind of, again, in one of those little tiffs, nothing major that time, but in make it up. And I was like, whatever I want to, I was kind of irritated, went back to my room and he was passed out on the couch and passed out of my bed. I swear I felt him like approach me in the bed, start Mm -hmm. to like, you know, uh, get intimate with me. Yeah. And I I just laid back. I was like, oh, okay. And then I looked up and there's like everybody in the room. I'm like, wait a second. So I walked out to the front room and he's fucking snoring on the couch. Whoa. I woke him up to see, are you fucking with me? And then, oh, did he not have a field day with this? He's like, incubus. But it wasn't, I, I didn't even know what an incubus was. I had to go look at research incubus after this. And it wasn't like that type of, it wasn't like that at all. But I, like, I still would put Bet Bunny that it was him, but I don't know how he could have, I don't know how he could have gone from there to the couch and actually played that dead asleep. I mean, he was snoring. He was out. We'd been drinking that night. Yeah, I don't. They, that was like okay. That was really weird. That was super weird to me. And yeah, because um, I was like, I do ghosts have sex with me? Because he he like he had a heyday with it. He thought it was funny, and I'm like, oh, that's a little too much for me. And I did the whole sage thing again. <laughs> and so please don't do that. Please don't do that. And because that really weirded me out. And I who knows? Maybe I. We have been drinking that night and I thought, well, maybe because we were, I was just dreaming it. But what I tell you, I felt somebody, they didn't, that like everything happened. I just felt somebody and then it was all of a sudden it was gone. Yeah. So it wasn't like a full, but it was enough, you know, to make me question myself a little bit. And and, uh, the last activity I've had, I had these long guys that come over quite a bit and we were out on my carport and all of a sudden everything in the carport turned out. I'm like, I wonder what's up because Oh, my power's still on. I thought maybe the power was off, like for the rolling storms that we were having or something like that. Or, yeah. And nope, all the rest of the power's on. Just that one switch, that door that's next to the switch was locked. So neither of us had gone in or, you know, it was just weird. So 
some on and off stuff, some noises, and then sometimes just that feeling of somebody being right on top of you. Yeah. Um, are the things that I've experienced at this house. And if it get if it's at a point where the noise is like I can't sleep at night or something like that, I just find it. I'll just go in my front room and I'll sit down and I'll just ask the house to stop. And generally speaking, I don't worry about it. You know, something has to trigger it or it comes back occasionally. It's yeah, never I'm, fully gone. I'm wondering if talking about it is going to ramp it up a little bit. You know, I have no idea. I'm going to find out. But <laughs> I, you know, I, I've never been like, um ugly to it I guess you could say yeah like I'm just asking if we're sharing space can we share it respectfully you know like I like if you want to like if you were out like if I go fishing and I take a fish and I'm gonna eat it I say thank you thank you for the fish you know like I want to keep it copacetic if that's really what's going on of course Mm -hmm. like I told you I don't really know what it is this specific to me or is it the energy in the house or like but I I know I'm not the only one that's experienced in my house now. Right. You know, I know the roommate has, the lawn guy has, and a couple of my friends have. So it's been something that's been experienced by multiple people in the house. Again, it's nothing like super spooky or scary, but kind of weird at times. Yeah. Well, okay. For the first thing I wanted to say was that they do say that people that have, um, that have mental incapacities or dementia, that they actually can see through the veil. So maybe your aunt was, was actually seeing things. So maybe a little bit of both, maybe she did have dementia, but maybe that was part of how she could see other people. Right. Yeah. Like I told you when I researched, um, some of it they they said specifically like when they get to that capacity or when they're dealing you know it's almost like they're just being prepped to be brought to wherever they're going right that's bizarre and it, it is but i mean it kind of makes sense imagine if you've been on the earth this long and you've got good energy and you've done good and you've got people waiting on you mm-hmm. and how yeah. are you not going to think you're mad if you're seeing this stuff anyway yeah just, you know to like kind of have like oh, hey, we're here just to, you know, like, don't be, you don't have to rush, but we're here or we're preparing you or we're going to see you soon. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen that on some specials because I think Netflix has a few specials on it and I've watched a couple of them and they kind of explain it like that because some people who have the dementia or maybe that's just what they pass off as dementia because that's the only thing that they can really attribute that type of behavior to yeah yeah that's a Um, great point you know they're like oh obviously you're you're going into the dementia or even alzheimer's Mm -hmm. um so and the what the conversations that she relayed to me and i don't remember all the specifics now it's been like 10 years was basically people that she knew it wasn't anybody coming in and scaring her the dead people that she was seeing were sitting down and having conversations with her you know almost like as if to, they were going to see her soon. Wow. So it's kind of like, Ooh, I know part of me exciting. is like, that's kind of cool though. You know, like, yeah. Hey, thanks. It's up. I know I'm going somewhere. I'm going to see people I know. Yeah. Yeah. And then to, to ensure her that she's going to go in the right direction, that they're going to pull her towards where she's supposed to go instead right. of uh, maybe sticking around yeah. like ghosts will, they don't know. They get confused. <clears throat> right. They or say. they just don't feel like they're done yeah or they don't want to go or I, who know like who's 
who's to say how it all works? I know we don't, we don't know. It's, we can only speculate. Another thing is that it seems like whatever this spirit is, it's got some sort of attachment to you because you said it was breathing on you and then it was approaching or maybe doing things while you were in the bathtub that it likes it when you're alone. So who knows? Maybe, maybe it just is really fond of you. Doesn't like this dude around. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely got that. We got that. We definitely got that. And you're not the only person that this has happened to. This has happened to a lot of people like male and female. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, is I'm okay with it at certain levels. That just lets me know that just to me, it just lets me know that that whole energy thing is there, that this somehow this all, (laughs) there's some kind of explanation to it. this doesn't happen we just don't make it up Uh you know what I mean like to 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 say that you know any much more than that except that it exists you know like I can't I've heard wild stories and I'm like wow I'm glad that's not what I'm experiencing (laughs) Um, you know but then you know when I told people you know some of the things that I've dealt with they kind of look at me like okay all right have another drink or yeah (laughs) you know so and I know that it's very difficult for some people to even comprehend that that's how things could possibly go down or that that exists or yeah, because it, the one thing I have a sister that passed away when we were young, we were in our early twenties, she was 22. Oh man. And we, I still, we were all like back and forth still living at my parents' house. Like, yeah, we have an apartment. Oh, we'll come back to mom and dad's, you know, like it was very in and out. And after she passed, we had a lot of funny things going with our phone. Really? Yes. At that house that we all grew up together in. So it was like, anytime you picked up the phone, you know, it, and that happened to my dad, my mom, me and my other sister. Like Definitely what? had, uh, like picking it up and you think somebody's on the other line of the phone ring and nobody's there, but you're getting this weird static or funky sound. And we're, we're like, um, our phones, when we originally bought the house, had been tapped mm-hmm. because the people who left were, you know, I guess in some kind of legal trouble. Yeah. And it was similar to that, but our phones, the phones at that house hadn't been like that for years. It didn't happen until after she passed and it happened to my dad, it happened to my mom, it happened to me and my sister. It was almost like she was trying and she was a big phone person. Oh, like wow. Like she's just trying to get, get on the phone with us. And then that was too hard for me to, like, I could not swallow that thought or that train of thought back then, you know, like I, yeah. like, uh, and it's, you know, even though these phones haven't, you know, had that tapping issue for years, I somehow want to place it back on that. Yeah, that's yeah. not the case. But I know that all of us, me, my mom, my dad, and my sister, all felt like after we discussed it as a family, felt like that was kind of her way of letting us know it's okay or yeah, see you later or talk to you later or something like that. You know, did she? But it was nothing more than the phone. It only happened with the phone. Was she in an accident? How did she pass away so young? She passed away by partying too much and she fixated in her own vomit. Oh, God. So it's a very uh, tragic, immediate, unexpected, like, this isn't how things were supposed to go kind of thing. And it, it was really one of those things in, in our lives as far as my mom, my dad, and my sister, and myself. Yeah. The four of us has to be one of the most... Uh, 
Awful. I don't even, it was horrible, horrible, but it also brought us together a lot, you know, like death in a family like that can, sometimes it really can uh, stretch a family to its limits as far as what you want to do for each other, or it brings Mm -hmm. you very very close together. For us, it was very, it was a very bonding thing. We loved each other so much. It was just, you know, like my mom still to this day can't talk about all that crying it's you know oh, yeah. I can talk about it. it took it took years so it took a lot of us a lot of time to heal on that yeah and there were a lot of little things which I don't remember back then because back then it was very hard for me to wrap my head around it because you want so much to believe that you're going to be able to communicate with the person you lost so suddenly yeah and it was more painful to want that and not understand it or be able to know how to channel it or do anything with it or is that what really is like that's too painful to go through yeah at that time when I look back at it I'm like okay like I know she comes to me in dreams the more and more that I I dreamed I dreamt about her a lot at the beginning to the point where I would wake up sometimes and not even realize she had passed and be so upset because we just got done hanging out oh yeah that's that my dreams were that lucid about it but then I realized if I really took a good look at the dreams we were having it was her coming back, you know, say hello or hang out again or yell at me for wearing her pants and stretching out the butt, you know, <laughs> like stuff like stuff that was so very uh, unique to us. So, yeah. but that took me a long time to get to a place where I could open my mind to that. Those were the possibilities of what that means. Right. Well, it kind of seems like everybody experienced the phone thing and it's like you guys came together and hypothesized that it maybe was her trying to communicate. Oh, we know. We know for sure. Yeah, that's (laughs) awesome. You can't tell us anything different at this point in the whole game. I believe it, man. Yeah, we know. We know that she didn't get a chance to to call and say goodbye. She she wasn't expecting that to happen. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that was totally her uh reaching out to us like you can't none of us will say it was anything different even my parents who are super I don't know conservative in a lot of the ways they think about stuff mm-hmm. but oh. when you're that connected to somebody and you have energy like that family loved ones and they pass that way I think that all of us really want that communication if we didn't get goodbyes and Absolutely. and I think that even the most conservative mind will open their mind to it Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a cousin with I had a little cousin who was 19 and very similar. He drank too much and he took um I think it was heroin and he passed out in the front yard of this party and everybody just left him there and he he just died. And yeah. And I believe awful. that they 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 had stuff like that too. They brought in drugs that they weren't used to taking mm-hmm. and party and her, her boyfriend went to bed with her. Wow. We overdosed. They both ended up in the emergency room. They could, my sister was revived nine or 10, 11 times. I don't know. He actually made it out and he died three weeks later on mother's day. Oh my God. Yep. Then his brother died three weeks later. Same thing. And then her best friend with her turning was Tiffany too. She passed away. Her mom took her and they went to Arizona and I guess because of all the death and whatnot, she passed about two months later. And then my ex fiance who hung out with him and introduced them all passed away that next January. And I was just like, y'all have to, have to stop. Got to stop. And uh, oh all God. of it from the same thing, just 
being, you know, I think back then when, when drugs took a turn and heroin got introduced into uh, like maybe the mainstream of drug use, a lot of people didn't know what they were dealing with or the mixing of things, kind of like the opiate thing that everybody's going through now. Yeah. You know, like you can't screw around with that stuff. It's serious. And if you don't, if you mix stuff like that, or you're not, you, you have no business or don't even know how to use it properly, which I don't even know if there is a way to use it properly. Right. I mean, you're, you're, you're playing uh, Russian roulette with death mm-hmm. and it's really not worth it because once you get to a certain point in the, in the process of those drugs taking over your body and shutting down your organs, you're done. There's nothing you can do. No, there's yeah. no prayer. There's no handholding. There's no willing of your life from anybody, no matter how hard it happens, that will save you. Now you're right about that. And we've lost so many people these last four to five years. Well, I mean, all the fentanyl that's being brought in over the border, like China, I'm sure China's fucking shipping it in by the truckloads. And uh, well, they, well, China can't even, here's what happened. I just watched a special on that since China, they, they, they cut, they uh, regulated a bunch of shit with China. So China just sends the ingredients. They can send all the ingredients separately. They sent to Mexico they mix it up in Mexico when it gets into our, our into the states even quicker now. Oh my god! Now you're god. dealing with a cartel. It's not even China sending it out to you know. Now you're dealing with Mexican Mexican cartel, and they really have no respect for life. Right. It's all about the money, and uh, so and that's kind of like what happened in, in early in my twenties when all those people were dying. It's when they first introduced heroin, and you know, coke was the big thing or doing ecstasy. People weren't dying mm-hmm. left and right from coke or ecstasy, but once they introduced heroin in. And they were cutting everything with hair and adding, you know, kids don't like, that's not something you want to mess with no. or the opiates. But um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people um, are faced with those challenges. Absolutely. Yeah. Whether it's based on, you know, yeah, you had some type of injury and then they, they give it to you for your pain um management and you can't handle it and now you're doing it off the street and you don't know if it's going to be fentanyl i have a friend who just lost her daughter and her daughter's fiance oh my god root canal didn't have enough you know the pain meds got some more pain meds from a buddy and it happened to be cut with fentanyl oh my god three pain pills took out two people took two people's lives holy shit and i'm just like wow like who in their right mind is going to put that kind of stuff out there now that's the thing that concerns me when you've got people dropping left and right and those energies are left here mm-hmm. and they're taken so tragically and so quickly and unexpectedly you know how you were talking about ghosts who get confused and they're running around and yeah i think i think we're going to end up with a lot of energy like that yeah i think you're i think you're right about that i didn't ever even considered those deaths like that you know, like I think about a lot, we've had a lot of death recently and Mm -hmm. a lot of it's been, you know, 60 plus with the COVID and things like that, but that's a lot of energy that's being, you know, that's changing its channels. You know, you're not in a human form anymore. And I always think at what point do we get saturated in that type of energy and what places and what spaces? Yeah. Well, hospitals for sure. I don't know if you've ever been oh. to a hospital and it's just a weird feeling. It is. My mom's in and out of the hospital all the time. In fact, she just um, went in. She's been, she got, she came down with sepsis 13 years ago. Oh God. And she just had a, a thing with her fistula and a, and she coded. Technically they have a DNR on her, but I don't, I think that was specific to something else that she was having done, not just anything. Uh-huh. And they brought her back. The first thing my mom did 
so weird to see. We got to see her about half an hour after she woke up out of the coding, you know, coding and they're bringing her back and getting her off the kind of the heavy um, drugs that she was on. She immediately was writing a last will and testament, which she already has, but she wanted to make sure that we knew what she wanted. Done. And I'm like, mom, you're on some heavy, you're on rock and you're on ketamine right now. So, but she was answering questions in such a way that I was like, wow, you should be a little bit more confused. I'm like, you're fine. You're coming out of this <laughs> fine. We're not saying goodbye to you just yet, but the, her coding, she came back really in almost like a childlike wonderment. Really? Not grumpy, happy to see us, very appreciative of every, like, you know, like normally she's grumpy. Yeah. And the grump was not there. It was like, <laughs> it was like this, like watching her look at the world through a five-year-old's eyes or something. Oh my but God. Having her, but having her, her mind mostly, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, she was still heavily, but, and, and in all of these in and outs of the hospitals that she's had, she has very low blood pressure and she has to get dialysized three times a week. She was sitting in a chair and her blood pressure got so low. She told me that, you know, the, the nurses are feverishly trying to wake her up and she can hear them. She said she saw that light. She's like, you know, that light they tell you about. She's like, I saw it. Oh and my she's God. Like, I want she goes, let me tell you, I wanted to go toward it. It was so peaceful and so pretty. And there was like nothing, there was no type of alarm or ill feeling. Like if, had she gone to that light, she said it would have been the most peaceful, wonderful thing she ever did. But these freaking nurses wouldn't stop screaming her name. <laughs> so she got up, she went, she turned around uh-huh. and she goes, but I want you to know if that happens to me again, which she has a DNR at this place, if that's happening again, they're not supposed to like bring her back, whatever. Did she wants me to know? I'm like, well, I'm not ready for this conversation. I want you to know. I want you to know how peaceful it is. I want you to know there's light and that you, it's like, she's like, I literally was going toward the light, but these women would not shut up. Oh my God. And that's awesome. It, it was an awesome feeling, but the scary, like it gives me goosebumps thinking about it now because I was just like, I'm glad to know that that's how peaceful it's going to be for you. But I want you to know that, you know, like, I know you got to go to the light at some point. I know you got to do that at some point, but. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit more, you know? Yeah. It's so, so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you know, my mom and dad are in their seventies and they've lived a good long life and the quality of life is starting to really affect them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one to say what you should do at that point in life. I know personally, I, I couldn't do the things that my mom's done in the last 13 years. I would have wanted someone to just kind of let me peacefully go to the light for quality yeah. of life, you know? But that's not what, that's not her plan. And her and my dad said at some point, they're going to plan to pass together and curl up in bed. And that's going to be what it's going to be. I said, don't tell me about it. Don't do it out of a place of anger. I'm not going to tell you my thoughts on it, but that's on you. I'm not, you know, like nobody wants to say goodbye to their parents. No. Nobody wants to say goodbye to their loved ones, period. But it's something that we have to do. It's part of life. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, But to know that there's that light. And and when my mom was describing that light to see her face, like I saw it, I know it's there. I know that's where I'm going to go. That was peaceful. That was beautiful. It's still, you know, if I like, I get goosebumps and want to well up when I think about it, but 
at least I know she saw it. She's communicated that. And, and the way she communicates, you, you believe her, you know, like clearly that's what she experienced. Absolutely. And I think that's incredible. And that, you know, just being able to have that opportunity to see that and to know, cause there is peace in that. Yeah. There's a lot of peace for me and for her and for all of us, mm-hmm. you know, as much as like we dread that day and when it's coming, but to see her come back out of the code this time, because it's been years since that's happened. Yeah. And that like childlike wonderment and how she was speaking or looking at everybody, just so happy to see us all again. And not even realizing that that's where she's at. And honestly, this last time that they brought her back, you know, it did something to her. She's not quite um, completely all there. Yeah. As far as, yeah, she's suffered some kind of and I don't know if it's a good or bad thing it's just maybe a what do you call a comprehension or yeah. memory yeah but, she may have um, had lack of oxygen and maybe yeah yeah and they were in the middle of a procedure so she didn't she didn't have to deal with that for too too long but um it's something's different something's right definitely different so yeah yeah that's yeah. interesting yeah but, you know, it was kind of cool to see her in the wonderment for a minute. She she finally, when the drugs kind of worked through her system, she's, um, she's, uh, what do you call it? She got back to the little bit of the grumpy self. <laughs> you know, I there's good old mom. But even still, I, you know, I think that the more and more you know it's coming, the more and more you really want to, like, I know when my parents pass, I've spent as much time trying to be next to them, hanging out with them. Can I get your groceries? Can we eat a meal? Like I'm not robbing myself of that. And COVID happening and all that thing, it's made it a little bit easier to be able to kind of indulge in all of that. Mm-hmm. But I can say that when all that time comes down, I'm going to feel really good about the time I, the extra time I got to spend with my parents, whether it was making a meal or running some errands for them or having a drink with them or, you know, whatever. Hell yeah. So I would suggest to everybody, you just never know whether someone's going to be ripped from you tragically or if you can see the, the ends of their days. But if they mean something to you, take the time to share those moments. Don't let life rush you through missing out on memories that you'd really like to have that you'll regret you don't have later. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, I didn't think we were going to go there, but man, the feels. <laughs> I guess I'm there because it's just what's going on in my life, but you know, I love it. I think that that's a really important message to bring to people because they just don't, they don't think about it. We rush through phone calls with our parents because we got shit to do and you Mm -hmm. never fucking know. You're right. You just never know. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have a little bit more patience. I'll wait a little bit longer. I'll, you know, even watching my mom deal with my aunt Lucy when she got into the dementia and Alzheimer's and how hard it was to have patience. Yeah. And to think that people aren't fucking with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It it takes a lot. So I always remind myself to slow it down, you know, have a little patience, a little bit more than you normally would have and realize that you only get so many more of these. So I think that was partially meant for me too, man. I think that's really important. It is. And the thing is at the end, you'll get to say, I gave, like I was selfish enough to give myself that. Instead of, I regret not giving myself more time to do the things the way I should have done them, you know? Yeah. And I, I hate knowing that there's times where I could 
skip regret just by my own personal actions and being maybe, you know, just a little bit more patient with people, especially the ones close to you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they're, they're the ones that definitely deserve our patience. And plus, when you know the energies might stick around, <laughs> I don't want these people being mad at me. <laughs> I, don't, I want this to be a good time. You know, I like the fact that it's possible that they're um, looking out for me or, you know, trying to scare off the people that they don't, that they know maybe aren't the best for me. You know? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Hey, and so has that friend reared his head after all that? What happened? I'm sorry. Has, has that old friend, the one that was staying with you that made all that activity happen? Has he been around lately? No, no, not. He hasn't been around in probably a year. I just got a phone call from him recently and I was wondering like, Oh no. Uh Oh, um, but yeah, no, uh, not around. I'm not looking to, you know, not trying to, I mean, I don't have any ill will toward, toward them. And I think that as long as they're not living here or, taking up my time or money. Right. But, um, I'm not going to have to worry about somebody telling me, I think I've learned my lesson. This is, we'll, put this, we'll just put it that way. <laughs> Thank you, energy. I, I'm pretty sure we've learned that lesson. I'm not trying to learn it again. <laughs> oh, so. but he'll keep, he'll keep coming around trying to fucking tempt you. And that's usually how it goes, huh? You know, it kind of does. Yeah. But I've done better. So I, you know, like I kind of just like, you know, if you keep making the same mistake over and over, it's not a mistake anymore. It's just you being a dumbass. Oh yeah, you are right about that, man. Like, and I, I will own up to my some of my dumbass. And sometimes it's fun to be a dumbass. Sometimes it's just fun to like not really give it any of the weight that it deserves, and just let it like be something that you're not going to um, value at a certain level anymore. Mm-hmm. Even still, it's probably not good to have around. No, you're right about that. So. What's good for you is good for you. What's bad for you is bad for you. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Well, you're going to have to tell me if any more stuff happens and um, if like talking about it has made other stuff happen. Where? Oh, I definitely will. Where can people find the group? What's the name of the group so people know where to go? The group is uh, True Fans of Naked and Afraid and Excel. It's on Facebook. It's a public group. I think we're the largest public fan run fan group mm-hmm. for naked and afraid. And then there's some private groups, but ours is public. And as long as everybody is, you know, my number one rule is be kind and courteous. And I understand that people can have negative opinions or want to share those, but we don't do that there. Awesome. <laughs> and there's so, a lot of cast interaction while well, I'm in the group. I know that there's a lot of yeah, cast that come there in there. The, yes. And I totally appreciate that. And I think that um, that really makes the one, it's one of the appealing parts of that page is like, you never know when somebody's going to pop up in the comments. I also yeah. give all of the cast pre-approval on post, so they don't, I don't have to sit in some approval waiting room on me. Yeah. And I, I, that's just, I can trust the cast. And if I find something that gets posted, that maybe just seems, I don't, cause I don't care what you guys post, you can post whatever you want. You can share, you can promote, you can do whatever you want, as long as it's not negative. You know. Awesome. So if I wanted so, to slap in the, the podcast in there, well, I'm definitely going to put ours. Um, oh, absolutely. Anything. Okay. Because I think that I think a lot of the fans, especially the ones that get caught up in just the Naked and Afraid episodes don't realize is the, the cast that this 
um, franchise are so interesting mm-hmm. on so many different levels and so many different ways that are outside of the naked and afraid genre. Yeah. Like it's a really smart, interesting group of people. And I, that's what I like showcasing on the page. Someone goes, what's this have to do with naked and afraid? Cause this is a cast member and this has something to do about them. Yeah. So I like that to see all the different aspects because you never know how much you have in common or that certain people, you just see them as some naked person in the woods and you're like, oh, they do this or, oh, they do that. Or, you know, like um, there's a lot of interesting people in that selection of people or that group. So even yeah. the, the crew, you know, there's a lot of the photographers and some of the, the videographers and editors and cast, you know, the casting people who cast. So um, my goal in the page is to kind of give people just an, an even bigger view of who these people are and what they do because you're just not naked and afraid. There's so much more to all of you than that. And um, that's what I want people to kind of, so, and I really haven't had a lot of issues with cast at all. Like, like I go, if I have a lot of them on my personal page and I just see it in the feed and I share it. There's things I won't share. I don't like to share if it's got heavy kids or heavy like family, stuff, you know, like stuff that sometimes I just slip and I just start sharing everything and like, Oh, maybe not that big, but you know, for the most part, I try to keep a, a, keep it you know within yeah. reason yeah so, yeah no and I you guys participate a lot you slide into comments all the time they love it I get dms from fans oh my god you know it's like wow cast actually commented or they actually you know let us know exactly what happened they love that shit they love it that's awesome I love it well yeah. thanks for running such a badass group and keeping an Thank eye you. on things and Thank you for coming. I'm looking here. for a couple moderators to help me out because the group is growing. We've gone from, uh, I think Cinco de Mayo, we were at 8,000 an hour at like 8,500. So it's it's growing at a pretty rapid pace, I guess, with, you know, the new episodes coming up and a lot of the talk and a lot of the cast being involved. So it's got a lot of participation going on. So everybody awesome. jump in and have fun. Okay. I'll, I'll put it out there. So we need another moderator for your group. Yeah, just to help with some of the, the some of the little stuff that slips through doesn't need to slip through. We like to just make sure we keep an eye on it. Yeah, it's hard to moderate a group, especially one that size. That's a lot to do. You know, some of these people don't make it easy, but you know, we do our <laughs> we do our best. We do our best. <laughs> well, thanks again, Stephanie. I'm going to end our recording now, but stay on. And um, thank you so much for being on Fringe with Benefits. Thank you. It was fun. Welcome to Inward Survival School of Magic. And this week, we're going to talk about self-discipline. Do you consider yourself self-disciplined? Or do you want to be more self-disciplined? I know that my personal experience is I'm always striving for more self-discipline. And the more I exercise self-discipline, the better I feel about things. And it, it seems that you have more of an element of control when you become more self-disciplined. So this week, we're going to talk about four things that these kind of people don't do. This blog talks about how he says that self-discipline is a misunderstood concept. And I'm talking about Nick Wignall. He said basically because we think that it's more as a fixed personality trait, but he says that it's more about habits than it is about genetics. He's a psychologist and he works with a lot of people to be more self-disciplined. And he's noticed that it's not for lack of desire or motivation. And that the reason we struggle to be more disciplined isn't a moral failing or faulty genes. It's these bad habits that get in the way. And if you want to become more self-disciplined, you must learn how to identify these habits and eliminate them. First things first, relying on willpower. 
this is actually a last resort. It should never be the primary strategy for accomplishing difficult things. It's a backup plan for your backup plans and better to avoid temptations in the first place than trying to resist them. So don't rely on your willpower. Self-disciplined people understand that they don't have as nearly as much willpower as other people think they do. And they understand that willpower is just a fragile thing that will fail us. As a result, they don't, if they don't rely on it and get creative about other ways to stay focused and committed. If you wanna become more disciplined, ask yourself this question. How would I achieve this difficult goal if I had zero willpower? Next is waiting around for the motivation. Self-disciplined people view motivation as extra credit. It's nice when it shows up, but never should we expect it or count on it. And that most people assume that feeling motivated is required to do hard things, but action leads to feeling just as often as feeling leads to action. This means that the relationship between feeling and action is a two-way street. Feeling good helps you do hard things, but doing hard things makes you feel good. Self-disciplined people have an action bias. They understand that the only way to feel consistently motivated is to build the habit of consistently taking action, even if it's very small actions. And that's the whole theory of compound interest. Small decisions will lead to big goals being accomplished. Disciplined people are more motivated than the rest of us, but it's not luck or good genes. They just understand how to create their own steady stream of motivation by taking action in small increments, despite of how they feel, instead of waiting around for that feeling of motivation. So stop waiting around for motivation and learn how to build your own. Next would be trusting your feelings. Self-disciplined people know that feelings are not to be trusted. This doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to your feelings and be aware of them. In fact, highly disciplined people are often very in touch with their moods and emotions, but they're not ruled by them. Self-discipline requires a healthy skepticism of your own emotions. Emotions are behavioral heretics. Your mind's guesses about how you should act. You must pay attention to these, but not to follow them blindly. Your relationship with emotions matters for cultivating self-discipline because of how you feel will often conflict with your values. Here are some bullet points. Your value may be to work out first thing in the morning, but your feelings will try to convince you to get another 30 minutes of sleep. Your value may be to stick to a single serving at each meal, but your feelings will try to convince you to get more calories. Your value may be to ask your boss for a much deserved raise, but your feelings will try to convince you that something terrible will happen if you confront them about it. If you wanna become more self-disciplined, cultivate a skeptical relationship with your emotions. Listen to them, but avoid taking orders from them. Next, another thing not to do is worrying about your outcomes. Self-disciplined people have a knack for staying focused and they ignore outcomes. One of the biggest ironies of self-disciplined people is that they appear to be very goal-oriented. They have a lot of goals, they work towards them, and they often achieve them, sometimes to an amazing degree, right? But here's the trick they're able to make consistent progress towards their goals because they don't spend much time thinking about them. They keep their focus on their actions, things that they can do and control. If that's done consistently over time, it will lead to the desired goal or outcome. Disciplined people have a healthy relationship with control. They understand that they can't actually control goals and outcomes. All they can control is their efforts. Bullet point time. You can't control whether a novel gets written, but you can control whether you write 300 words each day during your lunch break. You can't control whether you lose 20 pounds, but you can control whether you have dessert or not. 
You can't control the grade you get on a test, but you can control how often you study. Don't spend too much time thinking about your goals because it's a distraction from the things you actually have control over. Those are your actions. The best attitude towards outcomes and goals is to set it and forget it. And don't waste your energy on things you can't control. All you need to know if you want to be more self-disciplined is to work to identify and eliminate these four habits. Relying on willpower to get you through tough times. Waiting for motivation before taking action. Trusting your feelings implicitly. And worrying about outcomes instead of your effort. Now get out there and make things happen. Our stoic thought of the week goes to Michel Foucault. He said, I'm no prophet. My job is making windows where there were once walls. The strategic adversary is fascism. The fascism in us all, in our heads and in our everyday behavior. The fascism that causes us to love power, to desire the very thing that dominates and exploits us. And the intellectual was rejected and persecuted at the precise moment when the facts become incontrovertible, when it was forbidden to say that the emperor had no clothes. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for joining me.